So Jay, who were some of the you know big acts that you went out and did shows with in the late '80s era? Everybody, everybody from Luther Vandross to you know um, Cameo. Me and Larry, I, I manage Cameo now, but that's how me and Larry Blackman became friends. A lot of people said that um, Cameo would be hard to deal with. Larry Blackman would be hard to deal with. Larry Blackman was always kind to me and always nice to our group and always treated us with dignity and respect. So, you know, and as time go, went on, you know, we, we had a friendship we, that became a brotherhood. And when Larry was looking for a manager, he called me and said, you're the only person I can trust. And I've been working for him for seven, eight years now. Well, well, it's great to see him keeping that music going. Yes. Yeah. You know, Larry is an icon, a legend, a giant. And, um, and you know, um, and an enigma in our business that you can't run away from. The, what's, what was disappointing to me is, again, you know, this is where the racism and the bigotries that exist even in our industry today. Cameo should have been in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame a long time ago. Yeah. You know, you, you can't, you know, but, you know, they don't, you know, black groups don't get the same consideration as their white counterparts. But if you go through history, in this country, you'll find out that that's always been. When the war ended in 1919, the First World War, when when black soldiers were coming back from the war, we didn't get to fight with Americans. We had to fight with the French because Americans said we were inferior, wouldn't fight with us. But we won the Medal of Valor. If it ain't for the French, America doesn't win World War One. And if the, and if it ain't for the black soldiers, the French don't win. Don't, don't up, hold their end of the bargain and they'll tell you that. But when black soldiers were coming back to the United States on the floor of Congress, congressmen said the greatest threat to America is a Negro soldier believing he has the same inherent rights as a white man. Mm. This is white man country. Um, so, you know, um, the inequities that exist didn't just start and the only time uh, we're going to make America great for once. As when we, you know, decide that we're going to be human beings and and do things in a humane way, with equality and justice being the the bedrock of what we do moving forward. It's how we're going to make America great. Amen. I mean, that's such a gigantic topic we could get forever off into that um i want yes. to try to keep it musical but even on the musical side of things i mean following it since the 70s like i have i've been you know infuriated by so much of the bias and, and racism in the music industry itself yeah. during that time and what you mentioned is just a tiny 
aspect of that that sort of permeates, has permeated, and uh, it's uh, driven me crazy too. So, but um, we continue to press forward. We got to. Yep. Yeah. Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. Um, so under a nouveau groove. Under a nouveau nouveau groove. Yes. Yeah. Um, kind of like uh, your your take on one nation under a groove or something like that, right? Yeah. And that was um that was with um a guy named Morris Rinchy. I just had this idea. We just and Battle Cat, uh, and we just kind of was fooling around and just you know. And I was trying to um I was trying to placate rumors. I mean um Warner Brothers and get back to you know writing songs the way they wanted me to. And so I tried to write you know songs that were more in line with love and life and not politics and uh, and it was it was a decent effort I, I think i did some i think share your love was just i get a lot of requests for that record now i think share your love and money came by you love and you ain't no friend of mine was a cool record um my, my favorite on there was a song that valerie sang called time and I, I wrote with a guy named Chris Smith and um, Chris Dixon. Yeah. Yeah, Money Can't Buy You Love. Actually had uh, Malcolm Jamal Warner appearing on that one. Yeah. Um, Malcolm used to come to the studio with me. He wanted to be a rapper. He was 19 at the time. And I let him get on the record. <laughs> he was so happy he didn't know what to do. And then you, I mentioned One Nation or Groove, but that track, the title track, actually has some parts of different uh, P-Funk songs. Yeah. 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 And are, are you a, a big P-Funk fan or? Absolutely. You know, I grew up, I was a dancer. I was, so um, I was a popper. So, you know, boom, boom. So we're dancing to Flashlight, One Nation Under a Groove, you know, um, the, um, the, the Black Hole, all those songs, you know, you, you, know, you can't, um, you know, make my funk to P-Funk, you know. That's George Clinton. It's revolutionizing music for me as a kid. It's, I've never heard music like this in my life. You know, Earth, Wind & Fire is my favorite group, but here comes George Clinton with this outlandish sound that you can't even, you can't put it into any box. And then right on the heels of him, here comes more bounce to the ounce. Mm -hmm. A record, like you never heard a record like this before. And so that's when the sound, you know, music is really starting to change for me. Yeah, I think I love the pop locking. I couldn't do it myself, but that was one of my favorite dance styles to watch. And uh, One Way was another good group that had tracks yes. that worked for that. Yes. Yeah. Did you ever um, go out and do a show that George Clinton was on? Yeah, we played with George before. Yeah. And we played with everybody. Man. We've been on... You know, we've, we've been around, so we played, you know, and I, and I love George. Uh, George, is th that's the most chaotic show you're going to ever be on, though. I mean, if you've ever been to a George Clinton concert, Many you times, know, yeah. everybody stands on stage. Even you can stand on stage. Even the audience can stand on stage. And if they have an instrument, they can play. <laughs> George is wild. So, yeah, yeah I love George. So. And still going. God bless him. Yes. Yes. So um, some time transpired, 
and you came back with a new beginning and different, yeah. not the same label anymore. Um, what happened? Well, you know, I didn't want to be on Warner Brothers and, you know, you can't just say, I don't want to be on your label anymore. It takes some time. You got to work it out and it takes some years to work it out. And we worked it out and, and um, you know, and everybody was happy with, the, with how we worked it out. And so we made the next album. Still though, I'm a major with Columbia. Yeah. Um, um, Russell, Russell Regan did that. I mean, God bless him and God rest his soul. Russ Regan called me one day and he said, I don't like the way they're treating you. I don't like what they're doing to you. He said, you're a young man. You, you're a bit brazen. You've made some mistakes, but I think what they, the way they're treating you is unfair. Hmm. And he said, um, I can, um, and what happened was uh, Jesus Garber called me and said, I heard you off Warner. Lou Maya is starting a label called Zoo Records and he wants Club Nouveau. And he said, Jay, I can't get you the money you're used to, but I can get you a million and a half dollars, a million dollars for Club Nouveau, $250,000 for two other groups that you can develop um but that's that's all i can that's i can't get you much more than that and i said i'll take it so i, I meet with lou Maya. i'm gonna do the deal everything is good i'm excited it's a it's a new start for me and i'm in the shower and i get a phone call and i missed the phone call but when i get out the shower i listen to it and it's um jesus Gardner. And he says, uh, hey, Jay, it's Jesus. I need to talk to you. Call me as soon as you can. And just the way he's saying it puts a little goose pimples on me like, shit, what's, what's wrong? So I call him. I pick up, hey, man, what's happening? He said, do you know a guy named George Garrity? I said, no. He said, well, he knows you. At Warner Brothers, he's one of the vice presidents. He said that you um." that you went in Mo Austin's office and you cursed him and threatened him. And so I said, yeah, I did. I said, but that was three years ago. I said, yeah, but he's the president of Zoo Records. Lou just hired him. Mm -hmm. And he don't want to do this deal with you. And the only way this deal is going to happen is if you can convince him to sign you. So I hang the phone up and it's just, it's just taking a life out of me because I just come out of this big fight with Warner Brothers. I'm getting another chance. It's going to be on, you know, through Zoo Records, which is at BMG. And I know Bob Buziak, and, you know, so I'm feeling good about it. And uh, so I call George Gary's office and leave a message. About 10 days later, they call me. So I set up a meeting. I go see George Garrity. We have a great meeting. You know, I, I can I explain myself. You know, I was young. I was 27. I'm 30 years old now. You know, I'm a bit more mature. I'm ready. And um, but I know that I'm not going to do a deal with him. And so somehow Russ Regan finds out about this, and that's when he calls me and says, "I don't like what they're doing to you." So Russ Regan says, "Go see Billy Michelle." 
and, and he's waiting on you. Billy Michelle is a publisher. I get to Billy Michelle's office. He has a check for me for $125,000. Says, Russ said, I should give this to you and I should be your publisher. And so, and then Russ gives me $50,000 to make the album. So I don't have a lot of money, but I'm a partner in the record. I own the record with him. And that's how, that's how we um, start on a new beginning record. Wow. Yeah. What happens, you know, to make these things come to fruition? Incredible. Yeah. Um, perseverance, so important, right? I mean, yep. I'm sure it's one of the things that you preach to the young people. All the time. So because I did that, you know, that's how I got linked into Domino with Ghetto Jam and the Tootsie Roll with the 69 boys and Rodney on Joe Cooley, which you don't hear me, though, because um, I became, uh, you know, uh, when it came to independent records, I just knew how to make independent records work. And then I made a lot of money making independent record work and um, and it you know extended my career past just being a writer or a producer or a business guy sometimes you know it's just relationships just helping people and you help somebody and you never know who you're helping and I remember my mom said if you help people so you can tell people you help people you didn't do shit but just prop yourself up if you help people you don't look for nothing. If you really help somebody, you don't have to say nothing. They'll say it. If you help people because you want to, they'll tell you that, that you helped them. If you're helping people so you can say it, you, you're just puffing yourself up. And um, a guy by the name of Alvin Williams was working with Busy Bone on his first album. And um, um, he needed a, he had four songs and he wanted a publishing deal. And he, um, he came to me and said, I need you to help me make a publishing deal. And I said, okay. I said, you know, I said, you know, Billy Michelle, I hooked, I'm, I'm introduced you to Billy Michelle. He said, yeah, but I need you to do it. And he said, um, what, what do you, how much do you want? And I said, um, 5%. And he said, no. I said, what, 3%? He said, no. I said, well, you, whatever you want to, whatever you want to do. He said, I want to give you 20%. And he gave me 20% for making a deal that he could have made. Because when you help people, you don't have to, I had helped him and I didn't know. I didn't know that some of the things I had done had helped him. He said it, not me. And so that's how my career has been. And that's why you can be in a music business that says you have to have a hit record to be relevant for 30 plus years and not necessarily have a hit record since the 1900s. And still yeah. be relevant to somebody. Well, you buck a lot of trends, right? I mean, not uh, indulging in substances and uh, um, not, um, you know, being one of the sharks, you know, out there, yeah. right? Yep. So, so I trust God. I believe in Him. I believe in the vibration of life. You know, I think um, I think oftentimes we take life for granted, we forget about the other sperm and eggs that was fighting for the spot that we got. And we, um, we don't, we don't respect it. And um, I really respect my life ride. I'm thankful to God that I got to participate in it, you know, and it's a very short ride, you know, look, um, 
I'm listening to Bill Withers, but I can't, I can't see him. You know, I'm listening to Marvin Gaye, but I don't see him. I'm listening to Leon Ware, but I don't see him. You know, I'm watching Kobe Bryant play basketball, but not in the flesh. You know, these, these, this thing called life is very, very short. So you have to enjoy the ride. And that's what I do. I wake up every morning to enjoy the ride. I'm, I was just on the phone with Najee today. I sent him a song that I did for my Soulful Bossa Nova album. And he called me. He said, yeah, I'll play on it, but I want it on my album too. What do I have to do to license it from you? I said, nothing. I'll give it to you. If you play on my album for free, I'll give it to you. You can have it on your album. You don't have to do a license. And he said, Jay, not very many people do Bossa Nova right. You did Bossa Nova right. I said, yeah, I know. I love Bossa Nova music. So... You know, I, I, I can identify Bossa Nova if I hear it, but I don't really know the genre. But, um, you know, I think girl of the, from, all the way back to Vicky Carr, you know, and blame well, it on the Bossa Nova. Well, the girl from Ipanema is the yes. most famous Bossa Nova record. But you got to hear, listen to um, uh, Frank Sinatra and Carlos Jobim and his um, reprise years when he did the Bossa Nova songs. Oh, they're beautiful. Joao Gilberto, Babel Gilberto, you know. Um, How did Antonio you get Carlos exposed to that? Listen to music, listen to music, and and just the first time I heard a Bossa Nova record, I didn't know what it was. I just knew that it was that I heard it on KBLX. Uh, it was 1978, and um, it was a song called "The Waters of March," and it was Sergio Mendez. It was his version, and it was so beautiful, but it didn't sound like anything I'd ever heard before because it wasn't an R&B record, you know, and it wasn't a pop record, but it was this record was interesting. The lyric, the melody, it made my heart feel a certain kind of way. And um, so, the, and then, you know, I listened to a lot of Marvin Gaye stuff like um, You Should Love to Ball. It's based in a bossa nova rhythm. You know, you can tell that he listened to some Bossa Nova and Latin rhythms. Well, I think, I mean, Marvin Gaye's influence looms huge, I think, on your solo albums. Yeah. He's my favorite artist. And the fact that you say that you can hear Marvin Gaye in him makes me feel good because he, because <laughs> that means that, uh, I mean, if I could sing like him, I would. Not many of us can. <laughs> no, nobody can. <laughs> Art Madison is the closest I've heard. Art Madison. If you ever get a chance, listen to the album I made with Art Madison called Into the AM. You can go on YouTube and check it out. The closest you're going to get to Marvin is Art Madison. I'll have to check that out. Um, just to close the books on Club Nouveau, Jay, um, Everything is Black came out in 95. And um, for the record, too, I didn't mention it, but New Beginning I thought was a pretty solid album. And... I did notice there were other producers uh, also involved, right, on that one? Mm hmm So you started... I co-produced co -produce with other artists, with other writers, yeah. Uh, mainly Gordon Jones, who was a musician that I worked with a lot, and um, I just felt like Gordon contributed a great deal and should get credit as a producer. Another one was Arvell McClinton, who um, I just thought was a super talented I still think he's a super talented guy. And um, I, I couldn't take the credit 
for producing the record by myself because I just felt like he, his contribution was too great for me to say I was just the producer alone. Well, that's very cool. I'm sure they appreciate that because I've heard so many stories in this business of people not getting credits when they probably should have. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, but Everything is Black was another, um, you know, kind of a heavy hip hop, new, new wave soul type of thing, right? Yeah. I would just, I would just experiment. And I just, so I got to the point to where I said, I never want any of my records to sound the same. I want all of them to be their own thing. That when people listen to me, they say, God, Jay King is doing crazy shit. I don't know what he's thinking. I don't know what he's doing. So I just wanted my records to be different. I just wanted, I didn't want to sound like what was on the radio. Um, and I didn't want to, um, I didn't want to sound like my last record. And I think I did pretty good at doing that. That one was on an indie, right? Yeah. Yeah. So with the background you have, you know, with indie success, I mean, how much hands-on were you for something like that to try to, like, push it forward? Or, you know, did you just put it out there and let it do what it was going to do or what? Well, with that label, that was Ripit Records. So I helped them. I managed the label. So when they did Tootsie Roll, it was at my direction. So then they wanted to expand into a label. So I said, if I'm going to expand it into a label, I'm going to put a record out on my own. But um, I didn't want to tour. So I wasn't going to spend a lot of money marketing. I just wanted to be able to make a record. And I, was just, I wanted to say something. So it wasn't necessarily for me to go out and sell a bunch of records in the tour. It was just for me to quench my writing thirst and you know and and I, to be honest with you i made that album for two songs everything is black and the shit is heavy i made that album so i could put those two records out <laughs> so i could say because i'm watching jurassic park and and um and so i say um and the shit is heavy i, I do this breakdown Speaking part, black man, oh black man, what do you run to, my black man? Almost extinct in this here land, like the dinosaur of yesteryear. Although there may be no Jurassic Park for a black man, you know it was just so. Those two records is why I made the album. Think about it. Are you free? Are you trapped inside your own hostilities? It ain't easy in the hood. But if you give it much respect, then it's all good. The shit is heavy. Look at Haiti keep on fighting because it's time we all be free. And Mandela and Soweto, they're all singing victory. Liberation's all around us. People dancing in the streets. But the black man is imprisoned in the land of the free. The shit is heavy. You know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was kind of like a theme album in a way, that one. Yeah. You know, because there yeah. was a few tracks at least that kind of top kept in Every, that. Yeah. Everything is cool. Hanging with my homies, hanging with my peoples, hanging in the hood. And everything is cool. Oh, everything is cool. Now, the shit is heavy. I wrote with Andre Simone. Oh, really? That's right. Uh, wow. Yeah. Did not know that. Mm -hmm. What was what was he like? 
Andres are very uh, strange to do, like Prince. You know, they they're way out there. They're geniuses. So you know, as musicians, they um, come from another different kind of space. Um, he was coming out of the relationship with Jody, so I'm sure that um, that that had an impact on him. You know, um, I I loved Andre. I thought Andre was a good dude. You know, but you know, but you. A lot of musicians, you don't get to know them. You don't get to, you know, they, you know, they stand off is still, for whatever reason, you know. Um, his, I'm probably like that. His recent records yeah. have been idiosyncratic too. So, yeah, yeah, but very creative um, and talented. Yes, <clears throat> but ghetto swang too, kind of, you know, was in that. Theme. That's Flip Kirby. Flip Kirby did that. He was. Um, it was his thing. Um, Flip was a drummer, incredible drummer out of Sacramento here who played with everybody. Um, and by the time he was doing that stuff, he couldn't play anymore because he had damaged his hands so bad, nerves in his hands from beating drums. Um, but another talented, talented dude. So the most recent record, you took a real hiatus from Club Nouveau. It was like 20 years, right? Yeah. Yeah, 20 years between albums and finally came back and... Uh, 2015 with consciousness, um, continuing that mindful type of uh, thematic scope. And you know what inspired you to to come back after all that time? And well, I kept saying I was making a record, and I was making a record. And I got over 110 songs, and the consciousness album wasn't a um, an overnight project. It was a project that. Um, I thought that I would, I thought I had it. I thought I was done with it. And every time I would think I was done with it, I would do something else and then I would change it. And then, you know, I would, I would second guess myself and I would say, this song is not good enough. Um, and, you know, this, you know, and so I'm, I'm going through iterations of songs. I'm starting a song. I'm loving it one day. And then I'm like, this is stupid. I'm not, I'm not a good writer. I, I'm not a, I'm not a, I can't write anymore. And um, so you're going through all these things. And and then you get to the space one day, you're listening to it. And um, I was in Honduras with um, Alan Warren, who was running for city. He ran for city council. I grew up with him. He was city councilman in Sacramento. He um, built a, um, the first hospital for the Garifna people in Honduras. The Garifna are the black people that live on the coast of Honduras that um, were on the slave ships, but they, they overtook the slave ships. So all the blacks in Honduras were never slaves. They, they overtook the ships and killed everybody. And they, when they, so when they got to shore, they connected with the Carib, which were the Indians of that, of that era. So and then they, they made it and they became Garifna. But they have no, so when you go to Honduras and you go into the Garifna, villages, they have no roads, they have no hospital, they, they're treated very differently than everybody else. So Alan Warren um, gave them money to build the first hospital, Dr. Luther, Luther Castillo, is a, a Garifuna who's a doctor who is brilliant. And so I was playing some of my track ideas while we were on that trip. And um, Alan Warren was like, you should make this record and, um, and wrote a check. So that's how I started. Wow. What year was the check, do you think? 
2014. Oh, so not too long before it came out. Yeah. Uh, interesting. Um, some new guests on this one. You got uh, Eric E.Q. Young from yeah. uh, Confunction and yeah. uh, Larry Dunn, Great Earth, Wind & Fire keyboardist, who I know you managed to, and, and he appears mm -hmm. on it. Some heavy hitters right there. And Chuck D. Yeah, which one is he on? He's on Consciousness. Chuck D's on Consciousness, and then um, and and uh, uh, yeah, um, Chubb right. Rock, and yeah. Chubb Rock is on. Let's have a party. Yeah. Yeah. And I tried to send Chuck D money for the record, and he never responded to me. He just did it. He just sent it, and never done, and never got his money. Never asked for it. I was like, wow. Hmm. I love Chuck D. But yeah. I think that's I think that's a great Club Nouveau record as well. I suspect one day I'll die and some of my music will take a life of its own and my kids will they'll, you know, benefit from it. Yeah, I mean tracks like Let's Have a Party, um I Cry was something different for you because it had sort of a rock edge to it. That you know do you remember Lynn Tolliver used to be a yeah. W Z A K? That Lynn Tolliver wrote that record. So I have an online radio network and Lynn Tolliver is uh, my, uh, he is my partner in that online network. And he played that song with it. And I said, I love that record. I'm gonna do it. Hmm. And we did it. So I no, did it for him. Came out good. Yeah. Uh, call yourself a friend of mine. It's real catchy. Call yourself a friend of mine. Talking about me all the time. Spreading all them hater seeds. How are you a friend to me? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, like that. yeah that's a solid uh, wrote contemporary R&B, even though it took that long to make. To me, it has a contemporary sound. Yeah. Well, songs, real songs don't have a lifespan. You know, um, you either make a song that's a hamburger or a steak. Hamburgers are good while they're hot. Steaks age really well. That's perfect. I, <laughs> try to make steaks. Yeah. And and that mistakes also. Um, so your your solo records, you put your first one out in 2008. What inspired you to finally put J. King out front? My mother died. No, I'm sorry. So my mother, um, no, I, you didn't kill her. Cancer did. Yeah. Uh, so my mom was my greatest inspiration. Uh, I believe I can do anything because my mom told me I could. Uh, but she said it's hard work. And so I, I was writing these songs and you know, I, you know I'm, I'm, I'm not the, the, the primary vocalist in Club Nouveau. Uh, Valerie and Samuel are and I write for them and I'll write for me, I'll write something for me. But my primary purpose is to write for them, to write what I think they, they're gonna be great on. And I would write these other songs and I would tell my mom and she would say, I like that record. Why, why are you not doing it? And I'm like, well, I don't, it don't match Club Nouveau. And she used to say, why don't you make a record? And I would say, I, I, I will, I will. And then my mother was diagnosed with um, cancer. We thought it was, um, they, they told us for a few years that she had um, bronchitis. And then we found out it was lung cancer. And it was, and by the time, you know, um, found out it was um, terminal. Um, it was, you know, I didn't know. Um, she didn't tell me. She wouldn't. That's just how she was. She, 
we're going she's a dignified beautiful lady and so i made the open book album because of her um because she you know and so every album that i do i i put a song to my mom so um the song on that album up to my mom was everything wonderful on the open book album and then um on the helen son album the song that um i dedicate to her is helen's son and um the song i'll put on the um the um soulful bossa nova album will be helen's song when do you anticipate that coming out I'm working on it now and I have to get it done because my next album is going to be called 60 and I'm releasing it on my 60th birthday, which will be January 27th, 2022. I'm so my birthday, my birthday is January 21. Wow. Right on. Aquarius. Right Aquarius. Yeah. They are beautiful people who always let the <laughs> sunshine in. Yeah. So um, I got to get it out pretty quick. Yeah. Um, have you performed any of your material on your own? Yeah. yeah I've done shows. I love it. Um, Cal Bennett plays saxophone. I love the, the whole, you know, um, vibe. It's a lot more bohemian than what we do with Club Nouveau. Club Nouveau is party, party, party. This is more mellow. I can do it to all my hundred. So what can you tell us about some of your other uh, pursuits in the next few minutes? I know you've been all over the place in the industry, and I'm particularly interested. You mentioned you work with uh, Larry Blackman. I know you work with Larry and uh, also some other artists. Tell us about that. Well, you know, I work with anybody. That, you know, I, everybody calls me for different reasons. Me and Lenny Williams are really good friends. And whenever Lenny needs anything, understand royalty stuff, he calls me. Howard Hewitt. Uh, and I are really good friends, you know, um, Derek D.O.A. Allen and I, we write together a lot. And a lot of local artists, this guy, Joe Levy, who's brilliant. If you haven't heard Joe Levy's album, go check out some Joe Levy stuff, L-E-A-V-Y. You will love him. You'll say, you'll call me and say, man, this Joe Levy dude is something else. Um, and, you know, um, Commande, there's, there's just a lot of great local artists here in Sacramento. I love being able to be on the radio and play new music along with, um, with you know, classic artists and blend them together. Anthony A.K. King is another guy. You would love his albums. Um, his Love is Everything album and Talk to God is a tremendous record. Anthony A.K. King, he's my cousin. Um, so I love, I love discovering the new artist, the next, the next um, um, music that, that's going to happen because that's what drives my life. So. And you've actually produced some uh, books on the industry or? Yeah, I just wrote, I just wrote little books on publishing royalties and distribution from an independent person standpoint. Because I think most people don't understand publishing and they make it so difficult. And I think the reason why people make it difficult is because they don't understand it when they, that's why they can't explain it to you. So they'd rather make it difficult when it's really simple. It's just mathematics and, uh, and fractions and just understanding them and understand once you learn the basics. There's seven basic publishing deals, different types of publishing deals, and I break them down and, and I think explain them in plain enough English that it makes sense when it comes to being an independent label 
you know, paying royalties. I tell people, look, when you're paying royalties, play penny rates, and I break that stuff down and distribution and stuff. So there are little little booklets I call them. Um, um, and, and I got to update them. I haven't had them in their, their passports. As a matter of fact, if you text, email me your address, I'll send you some so you can check them out. That'd be great. For viewers and listeners right now, Jay, if you could give one piece of key advice to a uh, fledgling musician, um, what might it be? Love it. If you are doing it for money, you won't make it. If you are doing it because you love it, you're probably going to make a lot of money because the love is what's going to um, drive you and not the money. Every time money becomes the driver, um, you lose the love. But every time love becomes the driver, you gain the wealth. And if you never have a hit record, it's just the wealth is in what you created that you actually took the time to create. And I think you only need a thousand people in order to be successful. If you're really as good as you think you are, get a thousand people to contribute a hundred dollars a year to you. Now you got a hundred thousand dollars and satisfy those thousand people. Give them that music for free. Um, give them, um, uh, uh, give them uh, lyric books or t-shirts and, and you know, it might cost you $60,000 to do everything, make the record and to give them all those things. But now you got $40,000 that you just made making music and grow it. You And if you do good music and if, if you really are as good as, as you say you are, you're going to grow every year from five to 25%. And the next time you make a record, It'll be a thousand and fifty people, or it'll be a thousand two hundred and fifty people times that hundred dollars. And every year you'll build and build and build, and before you know it, you'll have a community uh, that loves you, and you would have made a career doing what you love to do. That's the word of advice I can give. And on top of that, you can do shows as well and get more money that way. And that's when you that's when your mind, the beautiful thing about a mind is it's fertile. So it becomes it grows and becomes creative all the things that you can do from there. Of course, can't do shows at the moment, but uh, we hope very soon. You can. You can do them right in your living room. People uh, and people come see you online. That's true. Yeah, they're doing that, which is good to see. Um, yes. So uh, last question, Jay, as you look back um, on this career you've had thus far, what would you say you're most proud of accomplishing, musically speaking, in the music industry? Wow. Um, my most, I guess, friendships, keeping my friendships, my, my you know, regular folk that I grew up with, that I, that I knew throughout my life as a kid is still a friend of mine. Still, I never, um, I never let the industry make me bitter. Um, I love the music business. I, there's nothing bad I can say about it. I can't tell you how horrible it was. I can only tell you how wonderful of a ride it was. And the fact that I get to, um, I got to interface with musicians that I 
loved and idolized. And um, I called Derek B.O.A. Allen the other day and said, Derek, I want to buy a bass from you. And I want you to sign it. I just want to have it in my house. And he said, no, man, I'm going to give it to you. Mm. And so I called Lenny Williams and said, Lynn, I want a microphone, a microphone that you sang on, one of your old microphones. And I called Larry Dunn and said, I want a kalimba that you played on. And so I have these artifacts. And if you look at my house, you can't, you can't see, but I got a lot of art in my house. I love art. So it's art all over my wall. You know, I got, I got Muhammad Ali signing on my wall. You know, I got, um, I got Marvin and Marvis and Joe Frazier on a, on a boxing glove. And I got the, the Raiders on the football, you know, and, um, so I, and then I got all this art from different artists that paint and, and draw and write and song, you know. So, um, and so being able to live my dream and, and not get lost in it and lose my friends and my way, that's the most proudest accomplishment, I think, for me. Wow, and those uh, friends you've had from way back, they help keep you grounded, right? Yeah, that's yeah. right. So important. Yeah. Hey, Jay, thank you so much for sharing your great music history and your insights and sharing lyrics and all that good stuff. Uh, my pleasure. Thank you for having me. I'll do it again whenever you want me. Hey, back at Truth and Rhythm headquarters. Thank you for joining us on another magical ride with Truth and Rhythm. Whether you're watching or listening, as always, thank you so much for your continued interest and support. Be sure to subscribe. Go to YouTube. Go to the Funkin' Stuff channel. That's where Truth and Rhythm lives and breathes and thrives. Also, goodies here like TIR Quick Takes. And if you subscribe, you know what? You get the show before anyone else. It's free. If you love jazz, funk, R&B, soul, you can't miss it. Pass it along. Tell a friend. Tell family. This audience is growing, and it is a beautiful thing, all coming together for the love of this great music. Also, if you can throw us a buck or two, we could use the support financially, keeping the lights on, keeping the servers going, all these expenses. If you can help support the program, whatever you can give, much appreciated. Go to the FunkinStuff.net website, and on the right-hand side of every page, you just click and you can donate through PayPal, credit card, whatever. Very easy to do and so much appreciated. And if you do a sizable donation, I will mention you on the program. Also, drop me a line. Email me at scottg at funkinstuff.net. Let me know who else you'd like to see on the show, what you enjoy about the music. Let's just kibitz and uh, talk about stuff, you know, talk music. You'll find that I respond very quickly, and I much enjoy the... Uh, rapport and the camaraderie and the interaction. Always remember, this is your show, The True Music Lover. So for now, that's all the time we have for this one. It's a wrap. As always, Scott Dr. GX Goldfine saying, keep on vibrating to the rhythm of the one. <laughs>